Sometimes in life, skepticism can serve you well. It can save you money, keep you from wasting a day at a timeshare presentation, and help you avoid spreading gossip. To be honest, when I am faced with a new scenario, I usually tend to be a skeptic until something proves me wrong. And if you're like me, you can probably spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away and read labels like it's your job. That's where ritual comes in. They know that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. Their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin has high quality, traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. Take two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption and you'll get nine key nutrients. Rituals Essential for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. On top of that, Ritual multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. I take my vitamins every morning with breakfast. It's part of my daily ritual and I feel so good doing it. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash yoga girl. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash yoga girl for 25% off. Hi, and welcome to another episode of From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. This has been an interesting week for me, to say the least. I'm starting to find a pretty interesting pattern when it comes to these podcasts. So I wanted to start a podcast show years and years and years ago, and I was trying to do everything I could to make it happen, and I didn't have enough time, and I didn't have any support kind of behind it. I didn't know where to start. How do you just record a podcast? How do you release it and edit? I didn't know how to do it. But it's something I've been wanting to do for years. One, because I like to talk. <laughs> if you haven't um, caught that already, I like to talk. Um, I like conversation. It's my it's my favorite thing. Um, and two, because I just feel like this is a really good medium for storytelling. And I have a lot of stories to share. I have a lot of things I, I want to share and that I want to say. Usually I use Instagram. I use social media as a as a way to share epiphanies that I've had or just little bits from my day or whenever I'm moving through something difficult, I find Instagram to be a really good, clear way to kind of vent and get things off my chest. And that's a big realization I've had in the past in the past year is that the fastest path to healing comes through exposure. It comes through exposing our pain and actually talking about opening up and sharing our pain. And it's something that I've almost unconsciously done for years and years through Instagram. Whenever I go through a really difficult time, I write a little caption about it. It could be something as simple as, I woke up on a, the wrong side of the bed today. And then I share what's going on, how I'm feeling, what's happening. And usually after I've written it and I've posted it to the world, it's gone. It's really, really interesting. And I usually don't vent or share about drama or stupid things, but usually I share after I've had a realization of some sort or an epiphany or an understanding. And I share that. And I always feel so much better afterwards. So Instagram, in a way, has become almost like my personal diary, except I actually share it with the world. And this has created a really raw honesty 
from my end um, that for me is really natural. One, I've been doing this for years and years and years. I'm really used to sharing personal stuff about myself and my life and my family and whatever is happening um, with a platform of over 2 million people. And for me, this doesn't feel weird at all. It's weird that it doesn't feel weird, actually, now that I say it. <laughs> but I know for other people, sharing and opening up honestly and just even, you know, finding the courage to talk about something that weighs heavy on us. It's not that easy. You know, it's not that easy to be intimate, to be vulnerable, and to actually tell the truth about how we're feeling. And people ask me that all the time. Like, how do you get the courage to open up and share so intimately about your life? And for me, it's not, I don't need any courage to do it at all. It's just, it's second nature. It's really easy. And I know whenever I open up about difficult stuff, it actually helps me. You know, every time we shed a little light onto the darkness, it makes it easier to carry. And this podcast, now that I'm every single week, I'm sitting down in my office or in my bedroom or wherever it's easiest for me to record a podcast with the baby. I'm seeing this pattern where <laughs> whatever I'm talking about that week somehow manifests in a lesson for me in the days that follow. Let me, let me, let me clarify. So for instance, I recorded a podcast with my mom. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we spoke about things that we didn't really have a plan. We just sat down and we we opened up and talked about stuff. And I never know where these podcasts really are going to go. I, I like to have a general theme. And if I have a guest, we talk and it's just conversation, right? So it can go, uh, it can go in any direction. And if it's just me sharing a story, I, I also like to have a, a core idea of what I'm going to talk about. But sometimes it's not until after the podcast that I realize like, whoa, we went a completely different way this week than I had expected. But a couple of weeks ago, I sat down with my mom and uh, did this podcast with her, a show. It's really, really, really beautiful. You should check it out. And after that, I started having all of these really deep realizations about my relationship with my mom, things that surfaced after we had finished the podcast. And we even had some interesting stuff happen um, in the days that followed. It just really made me appreciate her on a level that's much deeper than before. And she opened up a lot and shared about her past, her past depression that she suffered through for almost her entire life. We spoke about her newfound sobriety, how she's fully sober now for um, almost a year, which is amazing. And we spoke about some difficult things. And after the podcast, she started receiving emails. I mean, tons and tons of emails from people that are going through the same thing, from people wanting to thank her for opening up or from people wanting advice. Um, it was just so beautiful. So this podcast just kind of snowballed into something bigger, right? And then I think it was a week or two weeks after that, I did a podcast with my friend Jen Pasteloff, and we spoke a lot about the work that she does uh, in the yoga community and in the non-yoga community. We spoke about no bullshit motherhood, which is daring to be exactly as raw and you know authentic as you are in your motherhood without making it look fancier or easier or prettier. Um, and also after that, I just had so many moments where it just kind of hit me like, whoa, I'm really living this no bullshit motherhood, um, especially after we dove into these, um, to these topics. So it's been really, I'm starting to realize that recording this podcast every week is, is tied into a learning for me. <laughs> and I haven't completely figured, figured out what the end game here is. But last week, I spoke about yoga every damn day. So if you tuned in, if you haven't already, you might want to do that. But 
if you haven't listened to it, so it's about yoga and how I found yoga. And I found yoga through back pain. So I spoke a bit about the fact that I've suffered from back pain almost my entire life. And I, uh, I went on and on and at the end of the podcast. I just shared that, you know, my back pain has actually been my biggest blessing in life because number one, my back pain brought me to the yoga practice, which is so valuable. And it's, you know, it's such a huge part of my life. And my back pain taught me to be mindful. My back pain taught me how to be patient, how to listen to my body, blah, blah, blah. Okay. These are all important things and it's all true, but I shared all of this in the podcast. It was released on Friday and I, it's hard to listen to yourself speak. At least for me, it's, it's weird. Um, but I try to listen to at least a little bit of the podcast after they have been released just to, um, to make sure everything turned out good. So I listened to it a little bit. And the part that I listened to was the part about the back pain. And then Friday night after the, the podcast, I've been out the whole day, I went to bed and I've been feeling this sensation of my spine being stuck for the past, for the past few weeks and in a new way. So I'm doing a lot of new things with my body right now. I'm breastfeeding. I've definitely never done that before. Um, for every mom out there that knows what breastfeeding is like, um, it's, you know, posture wise, it's putting your body in a brand new position. At least for me, it's really, really, really new because holding your baby, you have to kind of round your upper back and you're pushing your shoulders forward. And most of all, you're dropping your head all the way down because of course you're gazing at your baby. When your baby locks eyes with you and you're breastfeeding, it's, it's the most powerful thing. It's, I would say actually it's impossible to breastfeed and not gaze at your baby the entire time, but it puts your body in this kind of awkward position. So I'm doing all these new things and I'm carrying this six kilo baby almost the entire day and picking her up and putting her down and all, all of this. And for the past few weeks, I've started to feel my spine getting stuck. Like I feel like, oh, I even told Dennis, I think a week ago, oh, I almost feel like I'm about to throw my back out. It's weird. I feel, I feel really stuck. So to counter this, I've really upped my yoga practice, which usually helps right away. And I'm doing a lot of upper back work. I'm doing a lot of gentle back bending and I'm using blocks to support my upper back and heart openers. Um, I even went to the chiropractor two weeks ago, which I almost only do if I'm in severe pain, which happens maybe once a year, maybe once every other year even. And I even went to the chiropractor and I told him, oh, my spine is feeling stuck. I feel like something is about to happen. I don't know what. And he adjusted me and everything was fine. And normally if I go to the chiropractor, I'm good for months. I mean, getting a solid adjustment, it just frees me up and I don't have to worry about, about back pain. But this time, for some reason, nothing really helped. And I don't know if it's, you know, doing an hour or hour and a half of yoga every day doesn't really counterbalance carrying a baby for 15 hours a day. But every morning, I've just been feeling a little bit stuck, right? So my history of back pain is really, really long. Um, and it's a combination of, I think, genetics, because a lot of women in my family have the same type of back pain. My aunt has it. She had severe or really intense uh, back surgery. My grandma had it um, her whole entire life. And we have the same, I don't want to say flaws because I don't like the idea of a body being flawed in any way, but we have the same pain in the same places. My left hip is elevated and externally rotated. Um, and it's caused a little bit of crookedness in my spine. So I have a little bit of scoliosis, which has just given me a lot of pain. And to make it worse, when I was 15 or maybe 16, 15, 16, somewhere around then, I went to Gambia on vacation with my family and I had a really crazy car accident there, which is 
which is wild. I haven't thought about that car accident in so, so, so long. Now that I think about it also, because the epiphany I had this week was that my back pain is intricately connected to the emotional stuff going on in my life. And it's also intricately connected to the weight of my past. And that makes so much sense. I mean, your back, your past, it's in the back, it's in the past. And I'm really starting to study this more. I'm starting to become much more mindful with what's going on with my back and what is it actually related to. So when I was 16, we went to Gambia. My uh, dad did business there for some crazy reasons. I don't know um, when I was little for years. And we went to Gambia on vacation um, with the whole family. And I remember I was 15 or 16. I was drinking a lot at the time. I was partying a lot at the time. I was really wild. Um, and I had a really good, I had a skill for going places on my own and making friends. And sometimes they weren't always the best types of friends. But we were in Gambia. I remember it was my dad's birthday and we had a big birthday dinner there. And I remember, oh, I so badly wanted to go out and just dance or drink or do something like that I wasn't supposed to do. I had this, I was itching to do something stupid. <laughs> do you know this feeling? I, I don't know if it's just me, but I really remember being a teenager, waking up in the morning like, oh, I need to do something illegal today. <laughs> I was just, I think it's an adrenaline thing. I was itching to do something bad. And I had made some friends. It was friends of my dad somehow that had kids that were in my age. And one of them lived there, went to international school in Gambia, in Africa. And I asked if I could go out, if I could go do something. And this guy was like, I think he was my age, or a year older, a year younger. Uh, and he was like, well, I know some bars where you can go and, you know, they don't card you or anything here. And I said, okay, great, let's go, let's party, let's do something. And the thing about Gambia, I don't know what it's like now, I haven't been in a few years, but you really need someone to drive you places. You can't really just hop in a cab um, and, and go wherever you want to go. So this guy that I met through my dad's friends had a cousin who was in his 20s. I mean, he must have been at least 10 years older. And he offered to be our designated driver for the for the night. And I convinced my dad. I said, well, we're just going to go and like see some places, maybe go dance, you know, no big deal. And he trusted me strangely. I don't know why my parents ever trusted me when I was a teenager, but he let me go. So, and it was also, let me see, we were four or five people in the car. So I can't really remember how everyone connected, but we were all really, really young. And then there was this guy who was driving us around. And here's the funny part. So we went from bar to bar or club to club or, or whatever it was. And the guy that was our designated driver was drinking more than everybody else combined. I mean, this guy was drunk <laughs> and it never occurred to me. I mean, I was 16 or 15, my tiny teenage brain. It didn't occur to me that, wait, maybe I should be cautious about driving in a car with a guy who's clearly drinking. You know, it's not just drinking, he's clearly really, really, really drunk. I was just so excited to be out and to be doing something. And we met more of their friends. And I remember having a really good time. And I think the third or fourth bar we went to was owned by some Swedish guy. And we met even more people there. And it was, we were having a super good time. And I was drinking some sort of whatever pink drink I liked at the time. And the guy who was driving was drinking vodka sodas, double vodka sodas. And every bar we went to, he would down two or three of these. And in the last bar, he had so many of these drinks that I remember pausing, thinking like, whoa, how can he even drink this much? Like, this is kind of crazy. This guy is drinking so much. And then we went to the car and the guy is trying to put the key in the ignition and he drops the keys. He cannot even physically get the key into the ignition. And still, I don't 
even register that, hmm, maybe I shouldn't be getting in this car. I was like, oh my God, the guy is so drunk. That's so hilarious. <laughs> and I got in the car anyway. Something told me that when I got in the car, the guy's driving like a maniac. I remember hearing this voice and I, I wasn't wearing a seatbelt the entire time, but I remember hearing this voice like, put your seatbelt on, something inside of me. And I put my seatbelt on and I looked to my right and there were two girls next to me and they also put their seatbelts on. And I remember thinking, okay, it's good that we all have our seatbelts, like the three girls in the back. And then he takes off and he's driving, I'm not kidding you, he's driving 130 or 140 kilometers an hour. I don't even know what this is in miles, but way, way, way too fast. And the roads aren't good paved roads. They're like dirt roads we're driving through. And the guy's driving so fast and he's overtaking car by car by car. And I remember thinking like, wow, okay, this is not good. But I was so young and I was the youngest one in the car. I was scared to speak up uh, and I started getting scared. He was driving so quickly and then I realized, okay, he is really drunk. This maybe isn't good. And he kept overtaking cars. And then there was a big Jeep ahead of us and they're signaling to go left into the side road. So clearly the guy needs to slow down because they're going to cross the opposite lane to go left. And he doesn't register that they're signaling. So he tries to overtake them at the same exact time that they make a left turn. So we just hit them full on, like full collision. And the car flipped over multiple times. I don't even know how many times and landed in a palm tree, like upside down. So this was crazy. So, 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 so crazy. And I I think I blacked out because I don't remember everything that happened here, but I remember waking up and I was upside down, hanging upside down because I had my seatbelt on and the seatbelt, you know, holds you still. And the entire car was filled with dust and sand, but I didn't know it was dust and sand. It looked like smoke. So I thought, oh my God, the car is going to blow up the way it does in movies, right? You always see, you know, bad car accidents and then the car somehow blows up, which I know doesn't happen in real life, but that's what I thought. So I started panicking, you know, completely, completely panicking. And I tried to reach for my safety belt button, but I was upside down. So everything was, you know, kind of the wrong way and I couldn't find it. And I was just stuck there hanging upside down thinking that the car is going to explode, which it didn't. But finally I find the button and I unclip it. And here's the <laughs> crazy, but here's of all these things that happened, the car flipping over and over and over this really intense car accident. When I clicked the safety belt button, I landed on my neck. You know, I was hanging upside down and I clicked it and I dropped down on my head and my neck. And that's actually when I, where I ended up injuring myself the most. Um, yeah, so I clicked the button, I land upside down on my head and my neck. And then I try to find the door handle to open the door, but the car is upside down. So again, I can't find it. And it's just, the panic was just so intense. And then I turn to my side and I use my feet. I put my feet up against the side of the door and I just push like with my feet, with my legs, and the door ends up opening. And I crawl out. And when I get out of there, I, I just I sat down on the curb or on the side of the road, just hyperventilating, like I couldn't register anything. And when I finally, you know, kind of gather myself and I look up and I realize, okay, wait, is something broken? Am I alive? What's happening? There's a huge crowd of people, a massive crowd of people surrounding the car. So I immediately think, oh my God, we drove into a party. Like there's a gathering of people here. We must have, we must have hit someone. We must have, you know, I start completely panicking, thinking there's, there's got to be dead people around because there's so, such a huge amount of people around the car. But it turns out that I think we were blacked out in the car for a little while because people just came to the car. People that saw the accident started surrounding the car, trying to help get us out. Um, the two girls that were next to me got out of the car and then 
the guy who was in the front passenger seat was the one who was who who didn't do so well. He wasn't wearing a a seatbelt, so he he didn't do so well. He's fine. He's alive. Everybody's alive. Thank God. Um, but he hit his head really bad in the in the windshield, and it looked awful. He was wearing a white T-shirt, and it was just red, soaked with blood. And then the guy who was driving, I think, broke his jaw or arm or something. But it wasn't it wasn't that awful. But this experience was just so you know overwhelmingly intense. Hence. And now when I think about it from a spiritual standpoint, I was really enjoying living this life in the fast lane. Like I was partying like crazy. It was really all I wanted to do was to live fast and to do stupid shit. And of course, this is the universe telling me to slow the hell down. Um, but at the time I couldn't, I was too young. I wasn't ready to understand it yet. Oh, an interesting part of, we got out of the car and then someone comes up to me and says, miss, miss, do you have anything in the car? Do you have anything that you need? Anything that's, that, that, that might be left there? And I realized, oh shit, I had a bag, I had a purse. And in this purse, I had my passport, like an idiot out partying with my passport. I had a phone, I had a camera and I had a wad of cash. Like I had so many valuable things in this car. And the people that were surrounding us here, I mean, we were in the middle of nowhere in Gambia. It's a really, really poor area. Probably just the camera alone could have, you know, fed a family for a really, really long time. And this guy is asking if I need any help. And I say, oh, I lost my purse. It's in there. So he goes back to the car, crawls through the broken windshield, somehow finds my little black purse, and then goes back to me, opens it up and makes me look. He's like, is anything missing? Is anything missing? And I say, no, everything is there. And he said, okay, here. And he gives it to me. He could have, you know, taken it and ran and he definitely didn't. And I remember like, oh my God, I should give him something. And I tried to give him money and he refused to accept it. It was just pure loving kindness, you know, so, so, so amazing. And then the next day I'm convinced that I have, that my back is broken. I'm convinced that something is broken in my back and I'm convinced that my um, ribs are broken because I couldn't breathe for actually for, it took me months to be okay breathing. Uh, when you wear a seatbelt and you have a really, um, intense car accident like that it compresses your torso right so it compresses your ribs even if you don't break anything for a while it's going to be really hard really hard to breathe um, but I was convinced that I had broken bones and then someone told me oh if your ribs are broken you know you can puncture your lungs and I just started panicking so I decided I have to go to the hospital the thing is there was no proper hospital in the entire country um, there was no yeah it's it's just not a de super developed country there was no proper hospital um, so some people said, okay, you seem fine. Like the doctor that we had at the hotel we were staying, you seem fine. You should wait and go to the hospital and get x-rays when you go to Sweden because you're not going to find that here. And still I was like, no, 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 we need to do an x-ray now. My lungs are going to puncture. I'm going to die on the plane. I just was convinced. I was so panicked. So we get to the hospital. <laughs> this is one of the weirdest experiences I've, <laughs> I've ever had. And we get to the hospital. It's It's like in a Oh, it's it's in this on this dusty road in this strange building. There's a little reception where a woman is sitting, like uh, waving away flies, you know. And there's like chicken and there's a pig in there. Like it's 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 really really crazy. And we explain what happened and we see a doctor. They say, okay, you have to get to the X-ray. And she says, go through the through the corridor, out through the courtyard, and you'll see the sign for X-rays. And that's the X-ray building. And then you go in there. You have to wait for your turn. And we're like, okay. So we go through the courtyard or we go through the hallway, get to the courtyard where there's more chickens. And then there's like a paper sign written X-ray over this open, open hallway. Like there's not even a door. It's just an open thing into the building. And we go inside 
there's so many people in there. There's women, kids, old people. It's just packed. It looks like a waiting room. In the middle of the room is an x-ray machine, maybe from the, I don't know, 70s. And there's a doctor there and a woman holding up her arms. And she's getting a chest x-ray in the middle of the room. Like right there in the middle of the room of all those people. And my mom just goes inside and she sees what's happening and she yells at me. She's like, get out of here. Get out. We're, we're not staying in here. Get out. Get out. Get out. Get out. You know, it's just, I don't know, like a hundred people just sitting, waiting for their turn to get x-rayed in the same room. <laughs> it was totally crazy. So I ended up not getting an x-ray. Um, they taped like some fingers in my hand because something happened with my fingers. I don't, I don't know. I can't remember everything. But anyway, when I got back to Sweden, I got a proper x-ray. I didn't have any broken ribs. Nothing was punctured in my lungs. Like, it was fine. But this doctor said, you need to be really mindful of your neck and your upper back because something isn't right. You know, it could be that you have whiplash or that it was a really intense hit. And it was actually the moment that I unbuttoned the, the seatbelt and I hit my head. Uh, it really messed my neck up really, really, really bad. And probably then, I mean, if this would have happened to me now that I'm older I would have gone and had work done right away I would have investigated it right away okay what's happening but I didn't and I was really focused on the fact that I couldn't breathe for so long and I was terrified to get in a car terrified I mean for 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 years I couldn't without panic get into a car I even had a hard time driving on the like getting on a bus for the longest time just not being in control uh, was was super panicky but I never got my neck checked out properly I never did any immediate work to see what had happened with my upper back. And I was 16, so I hadn't finished, you know, growing. <laughs> I still had some growing left to do. Um, but this back pain just got worse and worse and worse with age. So the pain I had genetically from my elevated hip was lower back pain. And now after this car accident, I had upper back and neck pain. And then somewhere after that, I mean, I was 19, I found the yoga practice, which helped a lot, a lot. I cultivated core strength, which helped with my lower back pain. And the upper back pain, I didn't really realize how it was connected, but it would come and go. So sometimes it would be completely gone and I would feel fine. And other times it would be really intense and I'd have a hard time even turning my head side to side. Now I know that my upper back, so the back of my heart, right, upper back, uh, the back of my heart, this is your heart area, your heart chakra. Whenever I'm going through really stressful times, when I'm moving through something difficult or when I'm sad, uh, especially if there's something I don't want to look at, if there's something I don't want to see, I'm trying to escape it and not feel it, then this back pain hits immediately. Sometimes it even hits before the emotional part has hit me. It's like a warning. You know, I can feel this upper back pain coming and I'm like, okay, wait. Something is happening in my life that I need to evaluate. You know, there's someone I need to forgive. There's something I need to look into. There's something unconscious maybe happening that I need to bring to surface here. Like what is happening? What is going on? And when I had this accident, I was 16. I had just lost my grandmother, who was one of the most, if not the most important person in my life. And I was so young, I didn't really know how to deal with grief. And of course, everyone in my family was sad and upset. Um, I didn't really have anyone to ask. Everyone was equally sad. And that's what I figured out now is that that pain, that upper back pain, especially that accident was, you know, forcing me to slow down, but it also helping me bring things to the surface. Because after that, I cried. I cried a lot and it was physical pain. So have you ever had that when you start crying over physical pain? And then before you know what you're crying and you're crying and you're crying and it turns into something way different. <laughs> that's the beauty of the body. Um, you can start with the body and it will take you into the heart if you go deep enough. 
It was also the experience I had when I gave birth. My baby was so overdue. Um, I ended up getting a really painful cupping treatment through acupuncture. And it was so painful how she was working on my upper back that I started crying from the physical pain. But before I knew it, I was crying over emotional pain and all this baggage I was holding on to that I think was preventing um, labor to start. Um, and I cried for hours and hours. And then the next morning I went into labor. And I, th I think this is also connected. But yeah, and when I was 19 and I found the yoga practice, which helped a lot, but this back pain would still come and go. And then I was, how old was I when I did my first 200 hour, my first yoga teacher training, which wasn't an amazing experience. People ask me all the time where I did my first 200 hour training. I don't like to share it because I didn't, I didn't love it. And it was an intensive training. It was in, in Costa Rica. I remember the, the first class I had in this teacher training. And I don't know how I found this teacher. I think it was online. I chose the training more because of timing than I did from feeling or because of the teacher. I just, I had this one gap of time that I could do a training and I was already teaching for over a year. So it was more something that I felt like I had to do uh, then at that time. And the first class we had, we were crammed into this kind of small room. Uh, everybody's, you know, anticipating what's happening and super excited. And I, I was just so happy to be there. And the teacher sits down on her mat and she puts her hands to her heart, Anjali Mudra, you know, hands in Namaste, and she looks all peaceful and holy. And then she look, looks down at her mat and goes, bam, and squashes a bug on her yoga mat. And I think the sound I made was something like, <gasps> like I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. You know, oh, oh my God, for me, that's just not, okay, I've never killed mosquitoes in my life or ants and any type of animal at all. I'm a vegetarian for both, you know, ethical and health reasons and just ahimsa, like no harm, non-harm. It's just, I couldn't believe that she sat down on her mat to begin a teacher training and then squashed a bug on her mat and no one else in the group reacted. But from that moment, I knew, okay, I'm not going to resonate with this teacher. It's just not happening. You are listening to From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. It's easy to create an excuse to not feed your body healthy foods. You don't know how to pair ingredients together or where to find fresh ones, or maybe you're just too busy and tired by the time dinner comes around. Well, your body doesn't understand excuses, so Sunbasket has helped you get rid of them. Sunbasket makes it super easy to cook delicious, seasonal, healthy meals right in your own kitchen. You receive organic, non-GMO ingredients from the best farms and the best fishermen, all delivered straight to your door. Do you have dietary needs? No problem. Sunbasket offers paleo, gluten-free, and vegetarian-friendly ingredients, plus specific options like breakfast or family-sized meals. You can trust these ingredients. Each one is created by award-winning chefs and approved by nutritionists. Each Sunbasket comes with healthy, pre-measured ingredients and easy-to-follow instructions. You and your family are just 30 minutes away from enjoying a nutritious meal together. This spring, reset your body and reset your life with Sunbasket. Go to sunbasket.com slash yoga today and get your first three meals for free. That's sunbasket.com slash yoga to get three healthy, easy to prepare meals for free. sunbasket.com slash yoga. Mothers deserve the absolute best. So this Mother's Day, spoil the moms in your life with little luxuries from Osea. Osea's skin and body care is the perfect way to remind all the moms, mother figures, caregivers, grandmothers, and mother-in-laws in your life to make time for themselves. 
If you have been looking for the perfect gift, I recommend Osea's Andaria Algae Body Oil. I've been using it for years and it seems like every single time I apply it, I get compliments on my skin. This body oil is rich, but it's never greasy and it's clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity. Your skin will feel more sculpted and toned and you'll be left feeling silky, soft and glowing. Another favorite of mine is the Undaria Collagen Body Lotion. Ever since I've been using collagen, I have noticed a difference in my skin. In fact, it's never been better. Using Osea's body oil and lotion together is a mega moisture duo, giving you a full body glow. Osea's products are infused with their signature Andaria seaweed, but it's also clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Really just a perfect gift for yourself, the moms in your life, and even the planet. Spoil the moms in your life with clean, vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code YOGA at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. But anyway, I did this training. It was three or four weeks. It was a really long time in the in the jungle and it was really intense on my back but throughout the whole time in that training I felt good I didn't have a single time where I threw my back out my neck was fine my lower back was fine upper back everything was really okay but what happened was is I just I wasn't resonating with the teachers so I felt like I wasn't I wasn't expressing my emotions throughout the training at all I really held everything within there were a couple of moments where she made me cry not in front of her, but I would go back to my room and cry because I felt super sad. I just, I just felt that this woman just hated me for whatever reason. At one point she told me, and this was years before I was on the internet at all. Like this was just, yeah. And at some point she told me, um, yeah, Rachel, yoga is more than just looking pretty. <laughs> and I, I cried myself to sleep that night. I just, that's just not at all who I, who I am. That was oh, the worst thing anyone's ever told me. Um, in a yoga-related setting. Holy crap. Anyway, I held on to a lot of emotion during that training versus releasing a lot of emotion and opening up and shedding layers, which I feel is what teacher trainings should really be about. And then after the training, Dennis met me in Costa Rica and we had vacation for like a week or two um, in Dominical, where I used to live. And one day we went whitewater rafting with some friends of mine that have a whitewater rafting business there. And I've never been before. I don't like roller coasters. I don't like anything that kind of bounces you up and down. And it's specifically because I'm always scared that I'm going to throw my back out because my back is so sensitive. But I was feeling like, no, I need some action and adventure and this will be super fun. We go down this class, whatever, river, and within the first 10 minutes, I mean, it's bouncing in, like intensely up and down, uh, we hit a really hard rock, and I fly out of the raft, and then I land on the hard, like on the hard seat, and I can hear, and this has never happened before or after that, I can hear something snapping in my upper back. And within 20 seconds, my entire upper body is freezing, like seizing up. And the worst part was that there was no going back. Like we were in the middle of this river. I couldn't get out. I couldn't swim away. Um, and we were in the middle of the rainforest. So the only thing, the only thing I could do was hold on for dear life. And I, I looked this, this instructor guy in the eye, just crying, like, okay, I'm not joking. Like I, I need a hospital. Like I need a hospital. It's really bad. So he took us down the, the calmest way he could, which wasn't very calm because we were on a crazy river. And, and that was that. And th this is the, the worst injury I ever had, I've ever had by far in my, in my back, worse than the car accident, worse than anything else. Mm, someone, I don't even know the painkillers they gave me after that didn't even work. I took more painkillers than I think is, is, is at all appropriate. Um, nothing happened. 
literally nothing happened. Just my body got warm and I didn't get any relief at all. And after that, after this accident, it took me, I don't even know how long, I think maybe a year, maybe a little less than a year before I had full range of motion again. Uh, I couldn't breathe properly for a long time. You know, my, my yoga practice, I had to stop everything. Uh, it was it was horrible, awful, awful, awful. And after that, that's now how I throw my back out. So it used to be my lower back. And now after this accident, whenever something happens, it's always this exact same part of my spine. And it's literally behind my heart. It's right on the spine in between the shoulder blades. And whenever I'm going through something difficult, this is the part of my body that hurts. So I, I like to also, when I teach, encourage my students to find this in their own bodies because we all usually have it. It's usually not this severe and intense or traumatic or horrible but we all have a part of the body where we hold tension more than other areas. We usually have a part of the body that we know, okay, this is my spot, right? Maybe you get headaches a lot. That could be it. If you're, you know, something you don't want to look at, something you don't want to shed light on. If it's pain, you don't want to feel. Maybe you get headaches a lot. Maybe your hamstrings are super tight. That's always where tension goes. For many people, it's the shoulders and the neck. You know, it's like we're carrying the weight of the world and it's all on our shoulders, but it's different for everyone. But I like to encourage my students to find it because once you're conscious about, okay, this is my area, like my body immediately, when there's tension in my life, this part of my body soaks it up, then you can get really conscious with it. So instead of, or that's how I, how I work now, when I start getting back pain, I, I start evaluating, okay, what's happening really? Because it's not just the body. Trust me, even if the pain you have is from an actual accident, like the one I had, like it's an accident, I could say, okay, it was whitewater rafting this material, physical thing, and it's my spine, it's my thoracic spine, that's it. It's not just the body, trust me. You know, everything that comes our way, comes our way for a reason. It's not, it's not random, it's not purposeless, it's purposeful. And when we start listening to what the body says, sometimes we can catch these moments before it turns into this full-fledged pain. And that's what I've learned throughout the years is, when I start getting this pain, I know exactly what I have to do. I have to slow down. Usually that's number one. I have to cry. <laughs> Usually is number two. Um, really release some emotion because I build up all this emotion and it gets stuck in my back. Um, sometimes it's a conversation I have to have with someone that I don't want to. I, I hate confrontation. Sometimes it's confrontation that's needed. Sometimes it's forgiveness. I tend to be really hard on people. I'm really hard on myself specifically. Um, or sometimes it's this baggage literally it's not even something that's presently happening but it's something from my past and it's playing out in my life right now for some reason and that's what's been happening this this past these past few weeks I've had this pain this pain is creeping up I'm starting to feel stuck in my spine and I know a lot of it is this physical thing I'm carrying a baby I'm breastfeeding a baby I'm hunched over but it's also this overwhelming love Breastfeeding my baby is, breastfeeding Lea Luna is, is, I'm not even exaggerating if I say it's the best thing I've ever done. <laughs> it's the most amazing thing. It's, I can't explain it. It's, it's the most amazing thing. The love I feel for her is just, there are no words for that at all. And I know there is a part of me that has a hard time accepting love that's that big. It's, it's a, there's a part of me that has a hard time believing I deserve this kind of love. So whenever I'm faced in, in, in situations where I'm showered with, with love and abundance and kindness and care, I always get a little uncomfortable. I, I, have a, I have a hard time with intimacy and a lot of that is not current. You know, it's I'm intimate with 2 million people I don't know on Instagram every single day. 
Um, but when someone comes to the studio and they look me in the eye or give me a really long hug, there's always a point where I feel, ooh, there's a lot of love there. I kind of have to step back a little bit because it's, it's, it's new. It's, it's uncomfortable for me in certain ways. And this love, the love I have for Leah Luna, it's just so big, so huge that I know it's tied, the fear that's tied to this love is where the pain comes in. I know it's very, very, it's connected to fear. Because when you have a love this big, what happens if the love gets taken away? That's a big one. I, I have a past that's, you know, filled with a lot of grief, a lot of loss, a lot of death. And I know there is a big part of me that's always waiting for the shoe to drop, right? There's always waiting for the next disaster to strike. And logically, I know that's not the case. I know just because you've had a lot of death doesn't mean more death is coming. A part of me kind of knows I'm, I'm done with that pain. But still, whenever there's a love that's that big, automatically, my body goes, whoa, how will we manage if this love is lost? Which probably I wouldn't. And then this pain comes, right? I had a year ago, almost a year ago. What's the date right now? It's May. Oh my God, exactly a year ago. Wait, I have to actually look at a calendar. It might be even... Oh my God. Okay. Mid-podcast epiphany. <laughs> Mid-podcast epiphany. This is so wild and crazy. Exactly one year ago, um, to the dot, I was, <laughs> I was at Path of Love. Um, I've only ever talked about Path of Love on Snapchat. I've never spoken about it. I've never shared it on Instagram or in a blog or anything like that because um, I'm really mindful of which platforms I use to talk about this because I don't want people going to this type of spiritual group for the wrong reasons or without thinking it through. So I spoke about it on Snapchat and when I did it really lengthy, it was like you had to almost, you know, listen to me for 30 minutes before I got into the details of how to sign up. But Path of Love, um, it's a spiritual retreat. It's a therapeutic group. Um, it's a week you spend in complete isolation where there's no phones, no internet, um, no contact with anybody else. And you get the opportunity to dig through your past to shed light and expose the pain that you might still be carrying from certain things in your past. Um, and you get tools and means to speak about them, share them, and release them. It's just, it's the most beautiful thing. So if you're listening to this podcast, I'm trusting that if you feel called to go to Path of Love, if you feel called to go to pathoflove.net and look it up, you're doing it because your heart tells you, oh my God, this feels interesting. Okay, because it's a huge commitment. It's a, it's a big thing. Anyway, I went to Path of Love. It took me eight years to get there. I wanted to go eight years ago. And every year for eight years, I've said, oh my God, this is the year I'm going to do a Path of Love training because they're so, it's, it's a huge thing. And I never go, <laughs> right? I always have a schedule conflict or too much money or something else, something else. And then last year, beginning of the year, Dennis really wanted to have a baby. And we've been married already for two years then. And he said, okay, you know, he, he wanted a baby for so long. And I told him, I need, I have some more healing to do. I don't know what it is, but it's healing I need to do. I need to make sure that I don't pass on past pain, my own past pain to our future baby. That's my biggest fear. I need, I need to do one more piece of healing. I'm going to go to Path of Love. And if after Path of Love, it feels right, maybe we can sort of kind of start thinking about maybe in the future having a baby. <laughs> I was terrified. Okay. <laughs> um, and I went to Path of Love it was the best thing ever. I mean, I would so intensely recommend it to anyone who feels like they they need support or you need 
Hmm. If you're in a place where you just feel unsupported or if you're in a difficult place in life, it's, it's magical. Anyway, one of the biggest realizations I had in this path of love process was, and here's what's so interesting, um, that I am too connected to my mom. And we've spoken about this so much. We spoke about it in our podcast together too. My realization was my connection with my mom is so intense. It's almost outerworldly how intertwined we are. And, it, and it's really amazing and it's really awful <laughs> at the same time. We have this connection that's just, it's, it's a divine connection. It's not, it's not human. And there are moments in life where I can feel her emotions. And there are many moments in my own life where I've moved through things carrying her pain. And the realizations that I had as I really dug into this stuff is for many sections of my life that I've seen as really horrible or difficult or painful, or when I look at, oh, I was really depressed then, it wasn't actually me who was depressed, right? It was my mom. The moments that have been really hard for me, long stretches of time, it's been moments when my mom has been struggling. So a lot of the pain that I felt throughout my life has actually been her pain, and a lot of that started when I was I was five years old and her fiance, my stepdad, died really tragically in a plane crash. He was a fighter pilot um, and he died in a plane crash. I think the, the same day that they signed papers for the new house that we were buying. Um, they were engaged, you know, super in love, soulmates. Just, I mean, just imagine your, your worst nightmare. He just died really traumatically and it just launched us into this incredibly traumatic time. Uh, my mom tried to commit suicide shortly after that. And we've just, this pain and these, this year of our lives, I think has shaped everything that happened after that. And seeing my mom walk through this with this pain, my whole life, I wanted to carry it for her. I wanted to hold her pain. I wanted to become a vessel. I'm probably not consciously, but I, I was this little vessel for her pain. So whenever she was going through difficult things, I would do my best to absorb it. I thought for a long time that my purpose in life was to make my mom happy which of course is not true. <laughs> you know, it's my mom's job to make herself happy. It's, it's her job to work through her pain. It's my job to work through my pain and to make myself happy. But I had this really confused for almost my entire life. And that was the epiphany I had at Path of Love. Like, wow, I need to start separating. I need to become my own person. I need to learn what my pain is and what her pain is. And I need to learn how to separate this. And, and it's been so, so, so challenging. And when I had this realization, this big, for me, this was huge, massive, massive. And part of that was also that for as long as I try to carry her pain, it means I'm not really trusting her to stand on her own. You know, have you, have you, do you know what I mean when I say that? So actually empowering someone to deal with their things on their own. I mean, that's, that's a really important thing, but I never, I never trusted my mom enough that I actually believed that she could take care of herself, which is also put her in a place where she's leaning on me or relying on me. So it's a vicious circle. It's also me and how I act and, and her. And it's so, it's in our DNA. <laughs> I mean, I really, I really believe that. And that was my epiphany. And my epiphany was also that, you know, if you have a parent or a sibling or anyone you know in your life that's suicidal, that's a really heavy weight to carry. So for me, even though I kind of ran away from Sweden and I left and I, um, I started my own life far, far away. I always have in the back of my head, this fear, this little voice that tells me your mom doesn't want to live and it's your job to make sure that she stays alive. That's a heavy weight to carry. 
especially for a child, because I had this feeling since I was little, like it's, it's on me if she lives or dies, which of course isn't true. If for whatever reason my mom wants to commit suicide, that's going to happen. I mean, that's going to happen with or without me. Um, but that feeling of me being responsible for her life, it's overtaken everything else. And it's also been a big part, a big reason to why I was so hesitant to have kids. Because this pain is so overwhelming, I don't want to pass it on to my own children. But when I had this epiphany, it was so freeing, the realization that, okay, she has her own life, she's going to make her own decisions, it's not on me. And a lot of the pain that I've had in my life is not even my own pain. It was so freeing, so releasing. I mean, it was, it was fit, like physical weight left my body. It was like, like I stood up and I just, I was 50 pounds lighter. It was, it was magical. And that night I came back to my room. I rolled out my yoga mat for the first time that entire week. I went into child's pose and my heart just plopped down onto the ground. And I've been practicing yoga for a decade. My heart has never touched the floor. My chest has never touched the floor in child's pose ever. I mean, you could sit on my, on my upper back in child's pose. My heart wouldn't touch the floor. And I rolled out my mat. I went into child's pose and my chest just plopped on the ground because there was a release from my heart. There was a release of all of this fear, right? All of this fear. And at the same time, from me releasing, you know, this idea that I have to baby my mom, I think in a way it was really empowering for her. You know, if I let her make her own decisions, if I let her live her life and I just focus on my life, like, whoa, it's a really different dynamic in our relationship. You are listening to From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. Are you hiring? Do you manage or own a company, making the hiring process a critical and overly time-consuming task? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates for your job? Posting your job in one or two places is usually not enough to find quality candidates these days. As a business owner and entrepreneur, I can say this from experience. You need to post your job on all of the top job sites. And now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites, including social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter, all with just one click. Their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find candidates in any city or any industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates find you. No more juggling emails or appointments. Just quickly screen and organize all the candidates and hire exactly who you need fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by companies of all sizes to find that perfect person right away. Give it a try. Right now, you can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com yoga. That's ZipRecruiter.com yoga. Once more, try it for free. ZipRecruiter.com yoga. So that was a positive release when it comes to pain and, and the physical part of my of spine and back. It was like I was catapulted, you know, 10 years of backbending into the future. All of a sudden I could backbend. I could open my heart. I could put my, I could actually do a overhead grip, touch my foot overhead in a backbend, which I never could ever. So that's the positive side of this. You know, you have a release and you can actually see a difference in the body. And after this, what the first, my first reaction with the epiphany that I had about my mom was, okay, I need some space. I need space. I need time to figure out what life is like for me when it's just me, when it's just me on my own, when it's not me and her or me and this fear of losing her. 
So I told her I needed space. I needed to separate, which was so painful. I mean, really painful for the for the both of us, but especially for my mom, because, you know, it was really hard for her to understand. And being on the outside of this, like what happened? We've always been so close. We speak every day and all of a sudden I didn't want to talk to her anymore. It was it was a really challenging, challenging time. And when I came back to Aruba, I told Dennis all about this, you know, these realizations that I had and how it really changed my life. It really changed my life understanding this. And I also realized if I don't have to carry the weight of this fear, there's nothing from stopping me from having a baby anymore at all. So I told Dennis, you know what? I think, I think I'm ready to, to talk about it. That night, which was the first night we saw each other after I went to Path of Love, I got pregnant. <laughs> that evening, afternoon, I got pregnant immediately, right? And here's an interesting thing. That, I don't know if it's the same day or just the same week, but around this exact time, we've counted backwards and it's around this exact time, my mom woke up in the morning and she said she heard a voice in her bedroom speaking loudly, like an overpowering voice that said, you need to be sober now. And that was her first day of sobriety. Can you believe it? I'm getting chills, goosebumps as I say this. So we conceived Lea Luna. And at the same time, my mom wakes up in the morning and realizes she's not drinking again, ever, right? That's her first day of sobriety. It was like the universe was telling her, okay, you have a grandbaby coming now, someone who needs all of your attention, all of your presence, all of your unconditional love, someone who needs to be you unfiltered, right? With no self-medicating, no escapes, you know, not holding on to this pain or this past, but you need to be sober now. And since then she's been sober and it's, it's the divine timing of this connection. You know, this connection is just, it's mind blowing. And then I got deeper into pregnancy and the more pregnant I got, the more I started forgiving my mom. I, I, that's really how it progressed. And I, I was holding on to so much from our past, so much. But the more pregnant I got, first of all, the more I could resonate and realize that she also went through this, right? She carried me. She was pregnant with me. She birthed me. And the bigger my belly got, the bigger the space for my mom and my heart I could hold, if that makes sense. The space I had allocated in my heart for my mom was kind of shoved away a little bit and it was, you know, clouded with fear and darkness and, and pain from the past. But the bigger my belly got, the bigger this space got. And all of a sudden, you know, I gave birth to this to this baby girl and it's like the pain that my mom and I have in our in our mutual past, it's just not there anymore. And I can't explain it in any other way. It's like Leah Luna brought with her this overpowering love and it's so big and so beautiful that it takes over everything else so before whenever someone would ask me about my childhood the first thing that I would think about is this death of my stepdad and my mom trying to commit suicide several times and this heaviness and oh yeah I had a rough childhood now I think back and I'm like whoa you know my mom had me she was 20 years old when she got pregnant with me she was 21 when she had me she did this like she birthed me <laughs> she had a baby and changed her life, right? She actually went through all of this, all of these challenges of motherhood, feeling this, this responsibility, this, over this fragile being, this love that I'm sharing with my baby. Like I share that with my mom too, on both sides. It's just given me perspective in such a way that everything else has melted away. And this brings me to this week <laughs> and last week's podcast. So I shared about this back pain in the last week's podcast, 
how my back pain is my biggest blessing, blah, blah, blah. Go to bed. I wake up in the middle of the night, the, the evening after the podcast was released last week, and I'm lying on a pillow. Leah Luna is next to me in bed, and I don't even turn my head. I don't even move. I don't sit up. Nothing. I'm lying down, head is on a pillow, and I open my eyes, and I realize without moving an inch that I've thrown my back out while sleeping. Like my spine has snapped in a very similar way to the way um, the white water rafting accident, that part of the spine, the back of my heart has snapped and I didn't even move. And that's never in a million years, it's never happened before. Every time, whenever I've thrown my back, which has happened, you know, it happens every year, once a year, every other year. Um, it's always because, you know, I feel this pain coming, my spine gets stuck and then it's a doing, it's a reaching for something or I'm bending over or I'm twisting. And now... I threw my back out without moving in my sleep. And my eyes are just open. I'm terrified to even move. I kind of glanced down at the baby. She's sleeping. I couldn't stretch my arm out to reach Dennis to wake him up, to tell him that I'm paralyzed. I'm frozen. I can't move. I've thrown my back out in my sleep. I can't move. I couldn't even reach him. And if I start talking or if I try yelling at him or like waking him up, the baby's going to wake up. And then, you know, just the idea of holding my baby to feed her. I, I couldn't move my arms, right? This pain was so fucking overwhelming and terrifying, paralyzing, horrible, horrible. Hor Anyone who's ever thrown their back out in the worst way, like, you know what I'm talking about. It's the worst thing ever. So I lay there in the dark in the middle of the night, crying <laughs> quietly because I don't want my baby to wake up, not moving. I couldn't fall back asleep because this fear, and then my mind goes, starts spinning like, oh my God, how will I feed the baby? How will I hold the baby? I'm not going to be able to hold her. What if she knows? What if she notices that I can't hold her? And what if she doesn't feel that I love her if I don't hold her? And my mind just goes insane. And we have a retreat this week. I'm like, what if my back is still bad for the retreat and I can't teach? You know, my mind went berserk and I couldn't move. So for two or three hours, I lay there in the dark, just panicking, frozen. And then somehow I kind of dozed off and then the sun rose um, Dennis wakes up and I, and I, he looks at me, he says, what's wrong? What's wrong? Something's wrong. You can just tell by my face. I said, my back is out. I can't sit up. And baby wakes up. He had to take the baby, um, props me up on pillows. You know, I didn't even know, can I take ibuprofen when I'm breastfeeding? Like I didn't know anything. He props me up with a thousand pillows. I'm able to feed the baby. If he laid the baby on a pillow, like I can't carry any weight. I couldn't look down. I couldn't look up. I couldn't move my head at all. It was horrible. And as I'm sitting up, finally, she finishes eating and I takes her downstairs and I reach for my phone. And the first thing that comes up, you know, if you go click on Instagram, it's the little Instagram stories, the little circles. And the first one, number one is my mom's and I click on it and it's my mom on a beach in Greece. She's in, or was in, in Greece for something with AA, um, like an AA convention, like a sobriety convention of, of some sort. She's in Greece and she's sharing the story. She's on her Instagram story crying, which I've never seen her do on Instagram, um, sharing the story of how she in the morning had a really big breakthrough when it came to the pain of her losing her fiance 15 years ago, 14 years ago, and that she was with someone in the group. She went back into that pain and she was sharing the story. And for the first time since it happened, she allowed herself to really get sad and that she was always so terrified of going into that pain because before that pain meant she didn't want to live anymore. So how can you heal a pain and return to a pain when the pain makes you suicidal? It's not possible. And for the first time that she was able to go into that pain, talk about it, 
and she was okay. And she's standing on this beach telling the story and above her in the sky, fighter planes, fighter pilots are going back and forth. And you hear this overwhelming sound like of these fighter planes, this military planes going above her in the sky. And she's sharing, you know, this synchronicity of these planes. And at one point, all the planes formed a heart in the sky and someone took a picture and the synchronicity of this, these fighter pilots. And she's sharing this pain and it was just so divine. And she's sharing this story and it hits me. I'm like, wait, (laughs) she's in Greece. That's six hours ahead. This happened to her in the morning. She's having this, like going back into this pain. And sometime in the middle of the night, like I woke up at two in the morning, I throw my back out in my sleep without moving. Like, of course this is connected. Are you fucking kidding me? You know that? Oh my God. So I start crying (laughs) and I don't really, really, really know, you know, where the crying is coming from kind of, but what I'm feeling is, is it possible to be so connected to another person? Is it possible that I'm so connected to my mom on this deep cellular level that she steps into a pain from our past and she's 5,000 miles away and my body, my soul goes, oh shit, it's starting again, you know, or, or there's a fear in my body that resonates on that same level and my heart goes click and it just breaks a little bit, right? Get, do you believe that's possible? Because I fucking do. And I think that the fear inside of me of losing her, the fear of her going back into that place of not wanting to live is so big that it is possible for my body to just tilt and for something to just snap without me even moving in the middle of the night, lying next to my baby and my husband, where in my life, everything is fine. In my life, everything is great. I have so much love. Everything is beautiful. But this baggage of this death in our past is still alive right? The pain is still very much there, but it's, it's not my pain, right? It's partly my pain, my mom's pain, the pain I feel, fear I feel of losing her is is mine, but that big one that she steps back into, it's not mine, but my body still feels it. So she calls me and she says, Hey, I, I saw you shared something that you're back. What's happening. And I just said, you know, in the middle of the night without moving, my spine snapped, I didn't do anything. And then it hits her too. She says, you know, around this time I was sharing this story and she says, my realization right now is we are so connected and it's good and bad. And if you're getting, I was at the chiropractor when we were talking, she said, you know, you need to do what you need to do to work on your body, but can you just say the serenity prayer? (laughs) Can you just trust and let go and, and just pray, say, pray, pray and say, thank you for the love. Thank you for the connection. Grateful for the love and the connection, but I don't need the fear. I don't need the pain. It's not your pain to carry. And I just, I had my, all the hairs on my body were just standing up. And I went into this chiropractor, the, this adjustment with the Cairo. And I'm terrified, of course, when your back is seized up and you're getting a, an adjustment, it's super terrifying. And I just surrendered completely. So as he's adjusting me, and he, I got six really big, intense adjustments, as he's adjusting me, I just repeat to myself quietly. I trust, I let go, I trust, I let go. And silently to myself, I, I prayed, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And the entire time, just I let go, I let go, I let go. And he adjusted my spine as much as he could, and Immediately afterwards, I could feel this 
buzzing sensation, not in my upper back, but in my chest, really this buzzing sensation. And there's something happening right now. <laughs> there's something aligning universally right now, you know, in the, in the lineage between my mom and me and my baby and everything we've worked through in our past that's brought us here, you know, all the divine things that had to align for me to get the epiphanies that I had that eventually led to this pregnancy and to Luna being conceived at this divine moment, my mom being sober, us being closer than ever and being able to talk about these things. And then still as these past, this past baggage resurfaces and it's so powerful that, that it's physical. It's, it's really it's so powerful that the body knows, the body learns, the body knows. And the body has this tendency to hold on to heavy things. And that's where the practice comes in. And for me right now, <laughs> it's not a physical practice. It's, it's, it's a spiritual practice. It's, it's a practice of the heart. And every time now I'm feeling much better, but I've been working through this the entire week. Not so much physical therapy, but emotional therapy. So whenever I turn my head and I get this sharp, you know, shooting pain, I drop back into this learning about my mom where I look at the baby and I realize that she's here to teach us everything. She's here to help us heal everything. And I think that's what the universe is bringing me right now. It's bringing me this pain to teach me these lessons so I can be a mom and I can be a mom with what I'm given right now. I don't have to be a mom who sits with this baggage and passes it on, but I get to actually process and learn and let go. And then I'm able to give her all the love, all the love that the universe can possibly hold. I want to give her. And she doesn't need me with this pain, right? I'm, I'm really done with this pain. And that's what I'm working through right now. And I think the letting go of the fear actually allows us to process it. So I'm, I'm feeling very grateful, first of all, that I, I have this amazing mother who, who's able to, to work through this stuff. This is heavy, heavy, difficult shit. But who's also able to stand up and share, like, this is who I am. This is what happened to me. It doesn't define me anymore. And that she actually now, so many years later, has this ability to work through and also on her end, let it go. So she can be the best murmur, the best grandma to Lea Luna that's, that's ever possible. <sighs> so once again, this podcast brought us, <laughs> brought us many, many, many places. And I can feel as I'm sharing the story, as I'm speaking it, my shoulders are dropping. I can feel my heart opening. I close my eyes. My, my breath is really deep. It's a beautiful practice, this practice of, of opening up. And let's see where this podcast takes us. I don't know what next week will bring. All I know is I'm so grateful for all of it. I'm grateful. I'm at a place where I can honestly say I'm grateful, not just for the love. It's easy to be grateful for love. It's easy to be grateful for family and children and all these beautiful things. But I'm also grateful for the pain, even the paralyzing pain, because it brings us places. So for this week, I encourage you to look at your own stuff. Maybe start with your own body. Where in your body are you carrying this heavy sensation, maybe some pain, maybe something from your past. It could be something little. It doesn't have to be huge death and grief and pain and suicide, but you know, we all work through our own stuff. So 
what's happening in your life, in your body. And perhaps by just bringing you to this podcast, by listening to these words, it's the universe nudging you in a, in a direction toward letting something go. Thank you so much for listening to this week's very intimate and personal episode. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to listen and subscribe to other episodes of From the Heart Conversations with Yoga Girl. You can find all of these on rachelbraithen.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you normally get your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Big thank you to the folks at Digital Media for their production work. And of course, a huge thank you to my sponsors, ZipRecruiter and Sunbasket. Please support them the way they support this podcast. I'll see you next week.